And now, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. So the, the title of my message today is a bit different than what's in the bulletin. Uh, the title of my message, because as I started thinking about it more throughout the week, I thought I'm going to emphasize something slightly different. And that is, uh, cling to and grow in Christ. Cling to and grow in Christ. And um, we are in a series of sermons on the book of Colossians. And if you want to take out your bulletin on page 7, and just keep that in front of you as we go along here in Colossians chapter 2, starting at verse 6, or in your Bible, that's where we will look at. That will be our text today. Cling to and grow in Christ. And as I was reflecting on what Paul teaches here, an image came to mind from this week. Um, I was talking to a church member just outside the door over here. And as we were talking, he looked into the woods and he saw this tree. It's about 60, 70 feet tall. And there was a vine growing on the, that tree, the kudzu vine. And he said, look at how tall that that kudzu vine has grown. And I found out uh, later that a kudzu vine can grow up to almost 100 feet. And, uh, and I, I thought, well, that, that is an image here of what we're called to do. Although we don't like the kudzu vine. It's a, it's a pest. It's, a, it's invasive. It takes over. But that idea of we can grow like a vine as we cling to Christ, we will grow. And that's what Paul is getting at here in Colossians chapter 2. If you look at verse 6 and 7, these are images of growth. And he says to the church there at Colossa, Therefore, as you receive Christ the Lord, and here comes that first image of growth, so walk in Him, walk in Christ. They had received Christ, and now he's calling them to grow in Christ. To walk in Him. What does that mean? What does it mean to walk in Christ? Well, when you go for a walk, you are in motion. <laughs> and you are headed somewhere. And, and to uh, walk in the Bible is a metaphor for a way of life, a direction in life. And we're called to... Walk in Christ. We're all headed somewhere. The question is, are we headed to where Christ would have us go? We're all influenced by something or someone. The question is, is Christ and His Word influencing me? Walk in Christ. It indicates the direction of life. A way of life. If we have received Christ as Lord... Let's be led by Christ as Lord. It's called to be the Lord of our life. And then another image of growth there, you see it in verse 7, rooted in Him. Rooted in Him. No matter where you are in your understanding of Christ, you can go deeper. You can go deeper. Uh, you can grow in your knowledge of Christ. You can grow in your understanding of Christ's Word and His teaching. You can grow deeper. I can grow deeper in my relationship with Christ through prayer. 
you can go deeper in your relationship to his body, the church. No matter where you're at, you can grow deeper. The roots can go down deeper. I heard that a healthy plant that has a healthy root structure can go through almost anything, any sort of damage on top of that plant. It can be almost torn apart. But I've heard, and those of you who are gardeners can tell me if this is true or not, that if the root system is healthy, no matter what kind of damage has been done in general, that plant can grow back. That plant can come back. Because the root system is deep and healthy. And I've seen people in this church who've gone through some terrible things, some really difficult, hard things. And from the outside, you look at what some people have gone, gone through and, and you think, how, how is their faith still intact? But then you begin to talk to them and you understand, wait, this is a person whose roots go down very deep. That they have spent time knowing Christ and His Word so that when the storms of life come, when the suffering comes, something is anchoring them. And it's not over. It's going to grow back. Life still will grow and flourish even though they've gone through such difficulty because they had deep roots in Christ. So we're called to grow in Christ. We're called to walk in Him. Let Him lead us. We're called to get deeper and anchored in Him, rooted in Christ. We're called to be built up in Christ. Think of a, of a building, maybe a skyscraper, and it's just going up story by story. Or think of, maybe you've seen the images, of the videos of the arch here in St. Louis being built. And maybe even some of those time-lapse images of buildings or the arch being built story by story, piece by piece, going up. Our Christian life is not called to be static. We're called to, to be dynamic as we follow Christ. And then Paul says, abounding in thanksgiving. We're to be established in the faith just as they were taught, he says. And then abounding in thanksgiving. A growing Christian is a grateful Christian. A growing Christian is a grateful Christian. And I like what one commentator says. He says, gratitude is that which completes the circle whereby blessings that drip down into our hearts and lives returns to the giver. It completes the circle. I love that image. The blessings come down from God through Christ. All that He has done for us. And then we return that out of a heart of gratitude. And what that does is that that binds us to Christ. As we cultivate a life of thanksgiving... It binds us closer to Christ as we meditate and reflect on all that He has given us. It completes the circle. The blessings drip down. The praise goes up. And as Anglicans, that's kind of what we do every Sunday, don't we? At the Eucharist. Eucharist means Thanksgiving. Every Sunday we have an opportunity to reflect on who God is and what He's done for us. And as we come to the table, we offer up our prayer of Thanksgiving, our sacrifice of praise. Completes the circle. Stirs our heart to love God more. Reminds us of who He is. And that's part of growing. I want to grow more as a thankful Christian. I want to be the kind of Christian that Paul says here. Who's abounding, overflowing in thanksgiving. I don't know if you've noticed this in Paul's writings. 
but he's big on thanksgiving. And through the Spirit of God, there is a heart of gratitude that can well up within us. And this is part of what it means to be in relationship with God, to be a person of gratitude towards Him. Well, I pray that we will commit to being, with God's help, growing Christians. Are you committed to being a growing Christian? It's not enough to be catechized and say, oh, I'm done. We have children even now who are being catechized. Well, this is the beginning, hopefully, of the relationship with Christ and the church. The beginning of the relationship to the body of Christ as confirmed Christians. Not the end, but the beginning. It's not enough to say, I've joined the church and now it's time to coast. I'm a member. Certainly not enough to say, I graduated from seminary or I have a Bible degree or a theology degree and there's nothing more to know. No, that's the beginning. (laughs) You've been given the tools to grow. Now, it's going to be a lifetime of going deeper in Christ. We're talking about understanding the eternal, living, infinite God. That's who we're dealing with here, who's been revealed in Christ Jesus. And so the growing never stops. But then Paul gives a warning, doesn't he? He calls the church, he calls us to growth, but then he warns about how we could get off track. He warns against false teaching that will take them away from Christ. The Colossians are tempted to follow teaching that he says is not according to Christ. Not according to Christ. The end of verse 8. And then he describes this teaching this way. Now next week we'll look at the content of the teaching. But here he describes kind of in an overview or characterizes this teaching. And he says that, verse 6, See to it that no one takes you captive. No one takes you captive. That word was used in Greek to talk about a prisoner of war or a hostage of war or the spoils of war. And Paul is saying this teaching that you're tempted to believe in will take you into spiritual captivity. And then he he describes it, he characterizes it by philosophy and empty deceit. Now, by philosophy, he doesn't mean philosophy like we think of today. He's not talking about the academic study of philosophy. So those of you who have studied philosophy, we have currently a, a student of philosophy right now, a graduate student of philosophy. He's not talking about the academic study of philosophy. But um, in the first century, philosophy was used to describe any teaching that purported to give spiritual wisdom and insight. So that the, the, the scribes and the Pharisees, their teaching was described by Josephus in the first century as a philosophy, as a school. And then you had um, magicians, and I'm not talking about sleight of hand magicians. I'm talking about people who practice like the occult in the first century. They were referred to as philosophers. So it's really any, it was used this way, any kind of teaching that purported to give people spiritual wisdom or a way of life. And this has happened in the church here at Colossae. There are teachers who've come in and who have said, now we've got this philosophy for you. It's going to go beyond what you've learned about Christ. We're going to go deeper than Christ, (laughs) they said. And Paul is warning here, this is where it comes from. He's saying, consider the source of this, this philosophy. 
He says it's according to human tradition. It's man-made. It's not divine. It's coming from man. And it's according to the elemental spirits of the world. And most commentators today understand that or believe that this refers to evil spirits. So he says ultimately... This is spiritual. This is coming from spiritual darkness. It will take you into spiritual captivity. So consider what Paul is saying here, brothers and sisters. Consider this, friends. He's saying that there are ideas. There are ideas out there that if you follow these ideas, they will lead you into spiritual captivity. They will lead you into spiritual captivity because they will take you away from Christ who is God's revealed source of truth and salvation. And it doesn't matter if we, if we call ourselves Christians, if we confess Christ as Lord, as the Colossians had, if we make that basic confession of faith, then it doesn't matter how sophisticated or appealing, or popular these teachings are. The question is, where does it come from? Is it coming from Christ? Is it in accord with Christ? Does it contradict Christ and His apostles, the ones He sent to carry on His mission? And if it doesn't, we can know about these ideas, we can interact with these ideas, but we should not walk in them. They shouldn't be the guide for our life. That's the question. Where does this come from? Does it line up with Christ and His Word? What are some popular spiritual ideas today in our culture? There's an author named Tara Burton. She's a scholar and a journalist, and she wrote a book, I think, last year. This when it was published, called Strange Rites, New Religions for a Godless Age. And she lists some of the current ideas. She calls them doctrines for a godless age. Ideas floating around in our culture. Here are some of them. I am the only truth I know. To be my truest self, I should follow my instincts. I am the only truth I know. Well, Jesus said when he was in dialogue with Pontius Pilate, he said, I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. And everyone who is of the truth listens to me. So we don't listen to ourself as a source of truth if we call Christ Lord. He's the one who witnesses to the truth. We are not left on our own. God has graciously. I mean, what a burden to say that I have to discover all the meaning and truth for my life. I have to look within. God has graciously, in Christ, revealed the truth. The truth that we need to know Him and to know The meaning of life. He's revealed it in Christ. Or how about this? This is another one that Burton says is very popular today. A doctrine for a godless age. I owe it to myself and to the world to perfect myself. To perfect myself physically, spiritually, morally. I look to the self for perfection and for salvation. I owe it to myself and to the world to achieve this perfection. And yet Jesus can take that burden of pursuing perfection Off of us. And he says that he came not to call the perfect, but to call sinners who know they need a Savior. The one who is justified in God's eyes, Jesus said, is the one who says, not I'm perfect, but have mercy 
on me, a sinner, and they will find a merciful Savior. Or how about this? The last one that I'll mention here that Tara Burton says is a popular doctrine today. There is no objective right or wrong. Different societies and different people have different obligations, but there is no universal obligation. And yet Jesus, and we say it every Sunday, Jesus teaches us that there is an objective law that all people are obligated to obey. The law of God, which is the law of love, which says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's the law. That everybody is obligated to obey. And Jesus teaches that when we fail this law, which we inevitably will because we are not perfect, we will not perfectly live up to this law, that God has provided a way at the cross for us to be forgiven so that anyone who believes in him will not perish under the judgment of God, but have eternal life. So, There are all kinds of ideas, popular and pervasive in our culture. Friends, let's not be tempted to embrace them, but to cling to Christ alone and grow in Him. And why is that? Why is it Christ alone? Well, it comes back to the person and work of Christ, doesn't it? It always comes back here. Paul always reminds us, and we saw this the last time, who Jesus is. And what he has done. So that when you're tempted to go another way, he's holding up to you Christ. And he's saying, are you going to leave Christ? Who is he? Well, he says here that he is fully divine. Look at that in verse 9. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Christ is fully divine. He's not partly God. He's fully God according to the scripture. There was a survey that came out just recently. I think it was last week is where I saw the headline. I don't know when the survey was conducted, but over 3,000 Americans. And these were Americans that identified as Bible-believing evangelical Christians. And they were asking them questions about their belief regarding Jesus and God and the Scripture. And one thing that caught my attention is that 43% of people who identified as Bible-believing Evangelical Christians said that Jesus is not fully God. Not fully God. Friends, if Jesus is not fully God, we should not worship Jesus. We should probably just close it all down right now. (laughs) We shouldn't pray to Jesus. We shouldn't sing to Jesus. We shouldn't listen to Jesus' wisdom. Because that would be idolatry. Because he would be less than God. He's not a semi-God. He's not just a man. He's not just a prophet. Not according to his own word and not according to the apostles. He is fully divine. And that's what Paul is affirming here. Why would you want to move away from the God who's been revealed to you perfectly in Christ Jesus? He's fully divine. In him all the fullness of God dwells bodily. And then here's what he has done for us. Verse 11, in Christ we've been set apart for God. It says, in him you also were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. What is he talking about here? 
In the Old Testament, circumcision was a sign of the Old Covenant that you were set apart from, for God. You were part of the family of God. You were part of the people of Israel. And circumcision, circumcision was that sign, the covenant sign. And now, in the New Covenant, we're set apart for God by baptism and faith, he talks about. By baptism and faith. Baptism is the New Covenant sign. And we respond to the promises that God makes to us in baptism through faith in Christ. That's how we're set apart. We've been set apart by God through Christ. And then in Christ, we've been brought from spiritual death to spiritual life through the forgiveness of our sins that He won for us at the cross. You who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive with Him, having forgiven us all the trespasses, all of our trespasses, canceling the record of death that stood against us. And we talked about this last week, didn't we? That at the cross, the perfect life of God, the very Son of God, a life of infinite value, more than paid for the sins of the world and our sins. Because of His perfect life sacrificed in our place, the debt has been paid. And friends, if somebody came to you and said, listen, as a friend and out of love for you, because I care about you and I care about your family, I know you have debt. I know you've got student debt, mortgage debt, a car loan, credit cards. I know you're suffering financially. No strings attached. How much is your debt? I'm going to pay it off right here and now. <laughs> if anybody did that for you, they would be your friend for life, wouldn't they? You'd be loyal to that person to the very end. No one could probably talk you out of your loyalty to that person who paid off all your debt. And that's what Jesus did spiritually at the cross. He paid a debt that we could not pay. And the reward of that is greater than any financial earthly reward. It's eternal life with the living God. Jesus did that at the cross. And that's why Paul is saying, don't let anybody take you away from Him. And finally, he says, God disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. These dark powers who thought they had defeated God at the cross. When Jesus rose from the dead, He demonstrated His victory over them. Putting them to open shame. They have no power over those who are in Christ. And one day at the end of time, his victory, that was a preview, the preview of his victory at his resurrection will be demonstrated for all to see when he comes again as the judge of the living and the dead. Be no question about who's king when Christ comes again. The cross was a preview. The resurrection was a preview of that ultimate victory. And so, friends, I don't know where you're at spiritually today. Let me ask you, though, are you tempted to complacency? Sometimes I can get complacent in my faith. We need to be stirred up to grow, to keep clinging to Christ and growing in Christ. Is anyone here tempted to leave Christ? And maybe not openly, not publicly, but in your heart to leave Christ and to begin following other Ideas that are so popular, pervasive, and attractive today. Where are you with this? Remember who Christ is. No one else has paid for your sin with His blood. Nobody else has done that. Nobody else is fully human and fully divine. No one else has given you 
victory over powers of darkness like Christ. He's victorious over them. You need to be in Christ. I heard recently a testimony of a young lady who was at one point a social media influencer. One of these folks on Instagram and YouTube and she had a following. She was a new age guru. She practiced astrology and every week people would tune in to listen to her as she talked about how the moon is going to influence their life. She was a hurting young woman looking for something. And this is what she grabbed onto because she hadn't heard the gospel. And she got to a point, she said, where while she was teaching people to heal through this new age spirituality, she was in great pain. In fact, she was cutting herself while she was on the camera telling people how to heal through her spiritual methods. She got to the point where she realized this is not working. And she said, I came to a point in my apartment where I collapsed and I cried out, Jesus save me. And she said, I didn't even know how to pray that. I don't know where that came from because she was raised nominally when she was younger in the Catholic faith. But she had never really heard anybody talk about crying out to Jesus for salvation. But after that prayer, she began to see things online. She recognized the spiritual danger that she was in, the warnings that were beginning to pop up, and then a friend of hers invited her to church. This friend had been praying for her for two decades. Think about that, friends. Let's not give up on people. For two decades, her friend had been praying for her to come to Christ, and she invited her to church, and she said yes, and there she heard the gospel, and there she received Christ. And she said... Now she uses her influence for the gospel. And she said her friends that are in the New Age movement still that she influenced are saying to her, Why Jesus alone? Why are you always talking about Jesus? You, know, you, you can blend this with astrology. You can, kill, you can still, you were so wise, you had so much knowledge. Why are you throwing all that away? And she said, Because of what Jesus did for me, I was unworthy, but he showed me my sin. He forgave me of my sin. He's given me new life and I'm not going to leave him. It's Christ alone. I pray that that's my prayer. And, and your, your prayer too, that you will cling to him and grow in him. Christ alone. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your servant. The Apostle Paul who encountered you in such dramatic fashion, his life was revolutionized. And because of that, what you did in him, the world was revolutionized with the gospel. And I pray that a measure of his love for you and his devotion to you would drop into our hearts and minds as we seek to follow you now and cling to you in Christ alone, we pray. Amen.